How's it going, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back. This is the Emergency Nine Golf Podcast. I am Mike here with Jay and McLean. The boys are back again. How's everyone doing? Doing good, man. Beautiful Monday be night. Back. We uh, hopefully all of our listeners. Uh, we had two episodes last week. We had our traditional Monday night show. Came out Tuesday, reacting to the golf world, and then we put out a bonus episode with Mark Brazel, uh, the executive director of the Wyndham Championship on the PGA Tour. We chatted with him last week, so hopefully you had a chance to listen to to Mark. It was a fun conversation that we could have gone hours and hours with, but a different perspective. And you know, we didn't we didn't dig in as much as I wanted to, but at least it was nice to have someone dislike live like me on here. It was actually <laughs> two on two for a change there for a minute. So kind of, we were, we were definitely not going to try to upend our guest here. So no, we, no, we weren't getting into a shouting match, but I was, I was smiling inside as he was talking um, about how much he doesn't like live. So, but he had some interesting takes on it in the world of golf and how he got to where he is, told some fun stories with him with the AJGA um, when he first got into the business. And so it was a, a good, good little chat. So if you haven't downloaded that, please go, Download that. Give that one a listen because I know you guys are just jonesing for more and more emergency nine content. So Uh, that was actually a great conversation. I mean, it was super cool. I mean, he's got years and years uh, of, I mean, 20 plus years in, in the golf world. And and like you said, it started with the AJGA, I think he said in the mid nineties. So, I mean, he saw some of the guys that are on the PGA tour now that almost are moving on to the champion store. He watched these guys kind of come up. So, um, yeah, it's pretty cool. It was really cool stuff. Yeah, it was fun to have a different perspective too. Most of our uh, guests, since we've been doing this podcast, have been players, and so um, and we're working on a few more guests this this winter as we're kind of somewhat in an off season here with some lesser events and some things. So we are working on a couple more guests that would say are non-player guests that bring different perspectives on different topics in the world of golf. So keep keep your eye out for some of those episodes. But uh, I guess what. What are you boys drinking? Um, I I'm I've got it kind of simple tonight. I'm going with uh, just Buffalo Trace. Uh, you know, I, I almost did that. I didn't want to open any. I, I did get a couple nice bottles. Uh, my brother found a bottle of Knob Creek 18, um, mm. which just came out, and it's uh, I don't have it yet, but I'm super pumped to give that a shot. But um, don't have it yet. But yeah, I just wanted something. Something simple. This is a pretty uh, easy drinking bottle. McLean? Corona Light. Easy drinking bottle of Corona Light. It's very easy <laughs> drinking. It's not going to be my last one either. Another long neck. Love it. <laughs> That's it. And I have uh, some Old Elk weeded bourbon tonight, which is old also elk. very... Old Elk is pretty easy to drink. Mm-hmm. Very smooth, oh. very easy to drink, so... Yeah, tastes delicious. I highly recommend it. But. <laughs> That's how I describe Corona Light, if I'm being honest with you. It's a good bottle, easy to drink. Yeah. You know, very nice. Nice finish. It's a really good finish. <laughs> Makes you want more. <laughs> Love it. So, all right, let's get to some golf. And I'm going to preface this conversation with, we watched almost no golf uh, this week on the Emergency 9 Golf Podcast. Our the three of us. So we're going to take a different route. We're not going to talk too much of specifics on this episode, but one of the things that came out, so Mackenzie Hughes does win 
uh, the Sanderson Farms in a playoff over Seb Straka. And one of the things I kind of wanted to bring about was kind of talking about pressure and how hard winning is and how to handle some pressure. Maybe we can give you guys, listeners out there, a little kind of some tips and advice on, on things you can do or how to handle that, whether you're in your club championship or just a big cash game or you're trying to break a personal best, whatever it, it may be. It doesn't, you don't have to be on the PJ tour to experience pressure in golf. So, you know, uh, Emilio, Emiliano Grio was up there in contention. I can't remember if he was tied for the lead in the lead makes a triple, right? Hits it all over the place. Skulls one over the green, had a bad lie. He makes a triple Mark Harbord, who had the overnight lead shoots two over guy who's never won and battled a lot of kind of demons, um, on tour and both corn Ferry and PJ tour over the years. So Jay, since you have won more than the two of us, you've clearly handled pressure better than us. Although I, there's a lot of pressure to make a cut, Jay, I just want to let you know that, um, <laughs> well, I experienced that kind of pressure. You know, there's sometimes, depending on the situation, there were plenty of times where I was way more nervous on Friday afternoon. You know, we say you've been on the road for, I don't know, seven or eight weeks at a time. You Maybe you've missed three of the last four cuts and you're like, I need to make a cut to like keep your confidence up, you know? So yeah, no, that's actually a good point. There's sometimes where just making a cut and just having a chance to play on the weekend uh, is, can be, I'm, I wouldn't say more pressure, but it can rival that at some, at some, uh, in some stage. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think uh, for me, I always try to, you know, there's, al- there's already plenty of pressure. You already know how important the moment is. You know, if you're trying to win a golf tournament, how difficult, extremely difficult it is to win a, a tournament, even if it's not a full field event, just any golf tournament, just to win, there's plenty of pressure. So I, I was always trying to play little mind games with my, myself and, and trick myself into thinking that um, it wasn't a big deal, which we all know it is, but you play these little games with yourself and try to keep yourself distracted and focused. Um, I, I remember winning the the state open. I think it was the second one that I won um, and my brother was out there caddying and I set a goal to shoot 16 under par. You know, I was like, I'm going to shoot 400 par each round. That was my goal. I wanted to shoot 400, 1600 par for four rounds. And we got to, and I wasn't looking at any leaderboards. I knew that uh, I was playing well, but I just kind of distracted myself the whole time. I kept focusing on like, Hey, my goal is shoot 1600 par. I am a starter of the day at 1200 in the final round. And it was a way to keep myself motivated. And with the gas pedal down, rather worrying about, Hey, I've got a big lead. I don't, how do I hold on to this? Like, Hey, I'm moving forward. I'm going the other way. And I, you know, we got to the 18th hole and I, I didn't look at any scores. And I was like, how are we doing? I was like, I think at this point I should probably know. He's like, you've got a 10 shot lead. <laughs> so, I mean, and, but that's like, and then I got nervous, like on the last hole, I was like, okay, don't, don't screw this up. I was like, you're playing great. Um, but we'll make a 14. Yeah. But I mean, it, but like I said, I had the own, those own, my own little goals there within the goal of winning the tournament. So you're you're constantly trying to trick yourself and keep yourself motivated to not look back and like not, not to back up. Um, and you know, some are better than others. Like you you mentioned, <clears throat> um, Emiliano making that triple bogey. You know, granted, I don't I don't know what the exact the setup was of when he made that that triple bogey, but it's easy to get distracted and you start thinking of the negative. And you when if you're not playing your best, 
you start seeing all the trouble. Oh, what happens if I do this? What happens if I do this? What if I, if I block it right in the trees or, you know, pull it left in the water? And then, and then you're, it's tough to come back from that. Once you get those thoughts, it's, it's like, there's no turning back, but. Yeah. I mean, he made it on 14, which is a par five too. So a lot of guys are going out there birdieing it. That's yeah. really like making a quad on that, on that hole. Brutal. You know, so I, I guess what I have done again, very little success on a playing standpoint, but I think what's helped me is not necessarily, I don't try to ignore the nerves. I just kind of, the, when I play my best, when I'm nervous or under pressure of any kind of, I kind of just, I, I have to admit to myself, Hey, you're nervous. Like, that's okay. Like there's a lot of other people on the golf course with you that are nervous as well. <laughs> you know? So if you try to like avoid them or like say, pretend that they're not there, then I think that's when people can get out of their, you know, out of their rhythm, their routine, which I think are important from, you know, the instructor side of me is come up with a pre-shot routine, stick to it the best you can, you yeah. know, try to keep your rhythm the same, but it's okay to be nervous or. I think admitting to the nerves is, is more important than, uh, than obviously trying to deflect, but yeah, just, like I, like I was saying, I always try to trick my brain into not, not, not acknowledging that I'm nervous, but just like, Hey, keeping myself, keeping myself focused, focused. on like the yeah. positive, but like, you're right. A hundred percent. There's plenty of times where I you know, get to the first tee and McLean, you know, this being with your dad as well, but it's like, Hey, you know what? Let's have fun. I'm nervous. This is awesome. This is, this is why we do this. If I didn't get nervous, that mean that would mean that you that you didn't care and then if you don't care then go do something else you know but that's what makes it fun like how do i overcome these nerves i always looked at it like a challenge it's like all right man i'm super nervous today i got to the first you know first tee and i can't even tee the ball up i mean there's multiple times where i'd go to the first tee and i can't even tee it up you know and i'm like i'm putting it down and i'm using a tornado tee too so if anyone knows what that is it's not as easy as pushing it down you have to like kind of get it in the ground and set it on this little you know you know, flimsy little, uh, you know, like a nylon, it's like a nylon Chinese finger trap, but anyway, but yeah, I mean, you get, get up on the first tee and you're nervous as hell. You can't even put the ball down and I'm mean, a ball falling off, ball falling off. And everyone's looking at you like, hang on guys, I can do this. I promise. <laughs> but I mean, that's what's, I don't know. That's what's fun about it. I think I always kind of laugh and like, yeah, yep, just so you know, I'm nervous. <laughs> I mean, I didn't necessarily say that every time, but you're okay with it. You know, it's like, all right, let's go. You know, something that has always stuck with me. I was caddying for my father. I think it was 2010 at the senior PGA at Colorado Golf Club. And the first round were paired up with Fulton Allum and teeing off. I'll never forget uh, the two guys walking off and Fulton talking with my father. And Fulton had played, you know, a, a lifetime career out there on tour. And, you know, dad had over 100 starts. I don't know exactly what his number is, but well over 100 starts on the PGA tour. And coming off first tee, Fulton looked at daddy goes, 25 years, doesn't matter. Still get butterflies on the first tee every time. And it's a normal feeling. Uh, I I think also, you know, the first tee is a little bit different than, you know, the back nine on Sunday. But I think ultimately, and Jay, I think you can attest to this, is that it comes down to reps. And it changes each level that you differ yeah. in, your, in your golf career. And not only does that work its way up from junior golf, high school, college, minis, corn fairy, PGA tour, um, even high level amateurs in there as well. But 
I also think it plays a part for guys that suddenly get to the champions tour, you know, probably for the, I think there's a very small percentage of players that move on to the champions tour, still competitive on the big tour and still have a lot of uh, familiarity and recent feelings of being um, in contention on the big tour events. So even once those guys get to the champions tour, it's like, all right, I hadn't had these same butterflies and, 10, 15 years, um, some guys, maybe five, six years, but whatever it is, there's, I think percentage wise, you always see a little bit of gap. So now when those guys get this champions tour, it starts over again and they haven't felt that way in probably 30 years, but it starts over again. I think every time it does, it resets is a great way of saying it, Mike, but every time you find your new level of competition, you have that sort of feeling where you're trying to overcome, uh, and in some guys' cases, it's because they met, went to the Champions Tour and they felt like they should win right away. And maybe it doesn't happen. And now you start applying that pressure to yourself. Um, but I, I do think it changes. And I think that's where if we go back and we look at, you know, Rory at the Masters is a good example for me. You know, when we saw him have his uh, absolute breakdown in the fourth round and he's come back and obviously had success in major since then. Um, but I, I think some of his success was learned on that Sunday where he blew up. I mean, the famous shot to me is where he's in the bunker and he doesn't get it out of the bunker with that iron shot. Um, and you could just see how dejected he was in that moment. I think there's a lot of learning experiences that come along with that. And I think admitting and understanding those, um, the situations when you're in them can certainly help you get through them. But at the end of the day, I think that the true difference in when, guys start to break through and, and start to really build a career are or it happens once a guy has some reps under his belt. You know, it's like a guy like Garrett Willis got out there and won his first ever event. And we almost didn't hear from him again. Um, you know, that that's kind of the anomaly of the situation, but after winning his first tournament, yeah, he was a PGA tour winner, but he didn't have reps. It, it, he, he still only has one tournament ever that he'd been in contention with. And luckily he won it. And that's awesome. It's still an incredible feat, not taking anything away from him. But I also think that. And I don't, I don't, not to interrupt from, you from Garrett Willis though. Not, I, I played some golf. With Garrett Willis. Not My taking anything week, away from him. First event was with Garrett Willis, but I don't think he loved golf. And I don't think he even loved competition i don't think he wanted to be in. i think he was doing it because he was good at it and he could make money and obviously once he hit a certain number of pj's pj tour starts and he got he hit the cer- a certain level on the pension plan he was like i'm out of here um and he was admittedly said that too not to not to kind of upend your point there but i just some of those guys like if you don't love it if you don't love the competition if you don't love the nervousness then you're not going to, you're not going to be a household name. You're not going to be a guy that maybe takes it to the next level. And I, nothing against Gary Willis, he's a PGA tour winner. None of us are, uh, but I don't think that's what he wanted to do. He's just like, Hey, I, I'm good at this. I won. I'm going to just ride it out see how long I can get away with it and make some money and then go from well, there. But And I, and I don't disagree with you at all, Jay, but I will say the, the one point I will make is that success is defined by how well you deal with the, uh, the feelings of uncomfort, mm-hmm. the yeah. uh, ability to overcome and deal with the valleys that come mm-hmm. in between those peaks. Some of them are a lot deeper and some of the valleys are a lot higher, but if you get down in that valley and you, you just become negative, it's very hard to find that next peak and it just makes it further and further away. Yeah. I think uh, you touched on it a little bit too. When, um, 
uh, you talked about um, being able to handle the pressure and obviously that's what we're talking about, but the, I think it, it, it stems from the expectation of how well you should play. So I think some of the most nervous, uh, nervous times I've had on the golf course were when I knew I was the best player and I should win. It's like, what? It, it's not that easy. Like this game's hard. Like, you know, and you're like, okay, you, 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 you should win this tournament. Well, no, actually, no, I shouldn't. And that's what, that's what, again, I go back to you trying to play these little tricks with yourself to keep your, your mind focused on the goal is just to hit the golf shot in front of you the best you can. And you start getting wrapped up in the result and the end result. And two days from now, one day from now, uh, then back nine, like you really, people say this all the time. You just have to focus on the shot that's right in front of you. And I know you hear that all the time, but it really is. It's like, okay, I've got to play this shot the best that I can play it. And then I go from there. Uh, but when you get wrapped up in, into, you know, the expectation of the future, that's when I think that's when the pressure starts to set in. You see these guys get nervous coming down the stretch and they're not, they're nervous because they're thinking of the opportunity to win in a PGA tour event. And just say they haven't won in forever or they haven't won at all. Um, and, and they get away from like, Hey, this is just a golf shot. If I were just out here hitting with my buddies, I would, my brain would be clear. Um, expectations would be low because the the consequence of a bad shot is not that costly for me on Thursday, but the consequence of this bad shot on Sunday afternoon on the back nine is very costly. So you let that get in, in, into your brain and into your body. And then it's like, <laughs> good luck. You know, it's tough to, it's tough to deal with that. So it really comes down to the expectation uh, that you place on yourself. And if you can keep that as clean as possible and just keep telling yourself, you know what? Hey, this is just a golf tournament. It's just a golf shot. And I'm going to hit it the best I can. If I hit a bad one, hit a bad one. If I lose, I lose, but I'm not going to lose because I'm worried or too worried about the result. I mean, I know that it's easier said than done, but that's what these guys do so well. But to your point, McLean, it is a learned, it is a learned habit for a lot of people. Some learn quicker than others, but you look at somebody like Tiger Woods still gets extremely nervous. And he said that he does, but he really has, he's so good at turning that nervousness and he, he channels that focus into what's the shot that's right in front of him. And he's done it so many times over and over and over and over again from the time he was three years old. So it's like, man, I've, he's got, he's got such a Rolodex of wins and handling pressure. It's like, it's tough. I mean, I, I will go down saying that Tiger was as talented as he is. I don't, I wouldn't say that he is the most talented golfer or swinger of the golf ball or chipper of the golf ball or putter of the golf ball. He is obviously one of the best, but I think his, he is the best at knowing how to win and handle the pressure of winning and handle his emotions. And he's just supremely focused. So he's, he's, and that was his, he will go down in history as one of the absolute best at overcoming adversity. And that's probably a better way of saying the earlier point I was trying to make. Yeah. You know, when you look at careers being defined, what we see from the best players is that they were fantastic at overcoming adversity, be it first round, second round, third round, fourth round, um, off the course issues, um, whatever it, whatever it may be sponsors, new clubs, whatever it may be, the best guys out there, are the best at overcoming adversity. And yeah. Tiger does that with his mental game. He does that on the course and he he's able to gel up in the absolute moment mm -hmm. and make stuff happen. And that's why he will go down in history as the absolute goat. Uh, when the pressure was on and something had to be done, no one got it done 
to the frequency that Tiger has. And that's why those, like, you, you look at the greatest in, in every respected sport. You look at Tiger, you look at even Jack, I mean, Tiger and Jack, you look at Tom Brady, you look at Michael Jordan, um, you know, you look at, you know, you know, somebody like Babe Ruth, I mean, I, who I consider, you know, Mike, I know you probably say that, but arguably the best, the most, the, the best baseball player of all time, one of the most famous, because these guys did things that other people couldn't do under pressure. You know, I mean, and when the game was on the line, they they came through, and that's like that's that's what separates you. Well, that's what's stats. impressive. Yeah, that's what's impressive. It's not the stats, I and mean, you can add all those up. You know, like LeBron James. I mean, he's got stats galore, and he's probably gonna he's gonna go down as one of the best players ever. But that's why I think the argument is still hard for anybody to really compare because if you think, oh, he made this many championships, I'm like, but he didn't win. He didn't win. People want to. People like to follow winners because it's hard to win. Um, yeah. You know, that's. that's and I think and I think we struggle to understand when someone has immense talent and doesn't win, why they don't. Right. And so some of my favorite athletes and uh, Tom Brady, I'll use in, in a, for a golf analogy, a Jordan Spieth, both guys, not that Jordan's on Tom's level as far as, you know, his sport. Both guys don't have the greatest physical tools or athletic yep. ability in their sport, but they're two of the best winners. Tom Brady's the best winner in his sport. And in this generation speeds, one of the best winners, he gets it done. I always, I shit on Aaron Rodgers all the time because he's got all these physical tools. He can do it all. He can scramble. He can run. Tom Brady can't run outrun me. You know, he doesn't have the world's best arm. He can't chuck it 75 yards like Aaron Rodgers does. It's not the strongest arm, but he still throws it good though. <laughs> he still throws it good, but you know, you, you look that, at yeah, some of these guys, like, he doesn't have Josh Allen's arm or Patrick, or Mahomes, Patrick Mahomes, Mahomes. Yeah. Right. But he's, he gets it done. He, he wins side note. I was really hoping for Aaron Rodgers to lose to our Patriots third string quarterback yesterday. That would have just been awesome. Zappy. Zappy almost took him down in, in overtime. He looked good, he by the way. Went to overtime is something else, but no. So that's, I think, we always you look at a LeBron or you look at some of these guys that have uber talent, a, a Dustin Johnson. If we take it back to golf, mm-hmm. he has only got two majors. Like what what's he has a, lot, he has a lot of wins. But he only has two majors or, you know, you look at some of these guys like, God, they got so much talent. And that's what kind of frustrates us on this podcast with like a guy like Rory, like hasn't won a major in a long time. What's what's going on? But then you look at a guy like Spieth, like Spieth doesn't do. Maybe he puts better than. Roy, and that's about it. <laughs> you know, you know what I mean? Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes. Yeah. And even that's streaky, but the guy can win. And now he hasn't done it in a little while either. But, you know, yeah. it's, I think that's where people look at these, these Uber athletes and be like, well, well, you're, you have the best physical talent at your sport. Why don't you win more? Yeah. They, they like the overachiever and that, that can get it done. It's like, man, yeah. that guy's such a normal guy. And he was able to, you know, fend off the, the, the giants, you know, which is, which is kind of cool. But then you, then you, you know, you pair somebody up with like a tiger and in, in golf who, I mean, again, I know I was making the comparison that he's not the most talented I and mean, he's obviously super talented, uh, but he wasn't, or he isn't the, the longest count tour. I mean, there's a lot of categories that he's not the best. There's a lot yeah. of them. He is the best, but from a physical standpoint, you know, there's guys who are six, six that can hit it, you know, three sixty, three seventy. but again, he's the guy who he was the best up here. He was the guy. Yeah, exactly. Right. Best between his ears and he could handle that 
like McLean was saying, he can handle being uncomfortable and le- and leaned into it and almost thrived on it and liked it and wanted it. You've got to have that. If you don't like that, then you're never going to be, um, you, you probably, you can still be a great competitor, a great athlete, but if you don't love that challenge of, of, of being uncomfortable and that pressure, then, then you will never be one of the, the best ever. Yeah. Well, I think that's where a guy like Jordan, for example, he can hit some bad shots, but his recovery is fantastic. And I think that's a, just his version of how he overcomes the adversity within his own physical limitations. Mm-hmm. You know, the guy around the greens is phenomenal. He can hit a bad wedge shot and either chip it in or make par almost every single time. I mean, yeah. he is really, really good around the greens. And I think that's one of the things that separates our sports from a lot of others out there is that there's so many different ways to get it done. And we see that on such a normal basis, you know, with a lot of other sports out there, your physical attributes are what defines your success and your ability to reach a your potential, if you will, uh, in your sport. Whereas in our sport, mental toughness makes a big difference. Physical toughness makes a big difference. Um, the ability for recovery makes a big difference. You know, the short game. I mean, there there's so many different aspects that you need to be good at to not only either recover from your your you know downsides but also to exercise your um, the best part of your game at the right times. You know, I think that's one of the things that's very unique to this sport versus a lot of others. Uh, there are definitely some, some similarities that can be drawn from certain aspects of other sports, but for the most part, your physical size and structure plays a much bigger part in your ability to be a successful professional athlete. Yeah. You can make up for deficiencies in other areas easier. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I mean, look um, at a guy like DK Metcalf, the guy's an animal. He just, he just takes the ball from people. He just grabs it over them. And he's not ranked as one of the best wide receivers in the league, which is still a little crazy to me, but he doesn't have everything else. But when it's, when it's on the line, you're throwing it to that guy. I mean, he just reaches over you and takes the ball from you. It's a, he, he's someone who I've always liked watching. And then, and then you have somebody like Cooper Cup who's playing tonight, um, who, from a physical standpoint, I mean, he's, he's a great athlete. Don't get me wrong; he's in the NFL. But compared to all the other receivers that he's competing against, I mean, he's from um, from a physical standpoint, he's not even in the top twenty <laughs> in the NFL in terms of receivers. But arguably, the best receiver in the NFL. But he's still in incredible physical shape. No, 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 I mean, no question. Like I said, he's in the NFL, so he's in. He's, he's, a, him he's in the definitely gym a physical specialist. Com- compared to us, yes, but I'm saying compared to the other receivers in the NFL, I, he wouldn't be in the top twenty in terms of uh, you know physical attributes. He's not the fastest. He doesn't jump the highest. He's. I mean, he doesn't have the the longest arms. I mean, he's, you know, he, he's a pretty quick guy, but I wouldn't say he's the quickest, but when it comes down to it, the guy catches the ball and he gets open, which amazes me how open he gets over and over and over. Did you see him take a cart to the bathroom yesterday? No, he had to go to the bathroom during the game and he got, he had the cart come out and get him and give him a ride in. No, well, no. So he didn't actually saw the interview on this. So he was like, uh, straight, he goes, man, I had to take a shit. Yeah. And, so he goes, I'd planned on just running off the field. And he goes, but then all of a sudden, like, no, nah, no, nah, we got a cart for you. 
which sucks because it made it a way bigger story than it needed to be. Because he could have easily just squirted up the sideline and jumped into the locker room and came back out. No, they sent him on the stretcher. Everyone's like, oh, my God, he's hurt. He's hurt. What happened to DK? Who? Oh, DK Metcalf. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Anyways. So um, let's let's shift gears a little bit here um, to a guy we just mentioned, Rory. So Rory gets in contention at the Alfred Dunhill links over in the DP world tour, which is a pro-am event. They play um, Kings Barnes, Carnoustie and the old course. And then they finish on the old course. It's kind of the European tours version of the AT&T Pebble beach. He finishes top. Uh, I think he finishes fourth couple back of Ryan Fox kind of, kind of interesting. Ryan Fox kind of gets snubbed as far as the international president's cup team. Cause he's not really a PJ tour member, which is probably why he got stubbed snubbed. But I mean, the guy's a top top 50 ranked player in the world wins kind of a little bit of revenge. And I kind of found it funny that, you know, the, the Canadian Mackenzie Hughes um, wins the PJ tour event after the two Canadians in the president's cup, just put up goose eggs, but Rory. So to go to Rory, he's been playing his ass off for, I mean, basically since that final round at Augusta in April, he's played very, very well. He's won twice. Third time going back to last year, he'll defend here in a couple of weeks at the CJ cup. But what a, we talk a lot about Rory. What do you guys expect from him in 2023? Where's he shaping this up? Cause he's shaping up to be like, he's the favorite to win everything the way he's playing. Well, I think he he has newfound motivation with the Live Tour. I mean, as, as crazy as this sounds, the Live Tour has been one of the best things that's happened to his game. I, I feel like it's motivated him to get his game in shape. Um, he has a product that he wants to deliver, and he's a big part of that, and he knows that. Um, you know, he's got a little bit of a chip on his shoulder, and a lot of people, when they get backed into the wall or backed into a corner, they show their true self. And we all know that Rory has it in there. There's no physical limitations to that guy's game. I mean, the guy's un- unreal. Um, I think he is in a position to where he can have a career defining year, go on a run. Uh, is, and this is me playing both sides of the fence here, but one of the things that could potentially allow him to is the fact that he has some of the top players no longer in the same pool with him. Don't get me wrong. Still a lot of great players. That's not a bash on the PGA tour, but it's also would be ignorant to ignore the fact that some of the top players are not going to be in the same event. So his competition um, has gotten a little bit lower. And for one of the best players in the world, that just gives him a chance to win more frequently. So if he can take the chip on his shoulder, the quality of field, and go out there and start posting up some trophies. He's he's poised to have a career-defining year. I mean, he's obviously in top form. Um, it, it's it's tough because you know people like us, members of the media, are going to start <laughs> applying that pressure to Rory because it is his time. Everyone's looking for him to stand up. Everyone's looking for him. He's the face of the tour, so everyone has that expectation already. It's just going to really come down to how much Rory applies that on himself. You know, how much burden does he have to shoulder? How many more press conferences does he have to give on this subject? Um, A lot of those factors, which have nothing to do with on-course play, are going to come into into reality. And, again, not to beat a dead horse here, I think I've mentioned this three times, but 
this is going to be his opportunity to overcome a bit of adversity, even though it's a little bit of a different type of adversity. This is his opportunity to overcome it. I think we've he's an example of what we were just talking about, someone who recently hasn't really overcome that pressure, nerves, however you want to phrase it, on those final round Sundays and have has fallen just short enough. You know, was it 2014 was his last major? And yeah, he's won some PGA Tour events, but we all know it's the majors that is what people, you know, talk about when you're when you're done in the sport. So, um, yeah, he hasn't he hasn't done it, but his I mean, physically his game is as as good as it's almost ever been. He just had his lowest career scoring average on the PGA Tour. So, yeah, I mean, I I want him to win big time. We'll we'll see what he can do. What are your thoughts, Jay? I mean, I always look at how he's oh, he's such a great driver of the golf ball. I think for for me, it's it's like how comfortable is he with his with his putter and how comfortable is he with his wedges? Um, because he's such a good driver of the golf ball. He's it so far. Like, is he really able to take advantage? I know he's going to take advantage of the par fives, but can he take advantage of these these scoring holes where he's got, you know, you know, nine iron pitching wedge and in? Like, or is he able to really, you know, pepper the flag, you know, with with the opportunities that he's given with his, how, what is, where his driver puts him. Um, and then, and then is he able to capitalize on these, these putts inside of 10 feet? And I think we've seen over and over it's, it, 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 it's like, he's not, he's so good. It, it, it's not, it doesn't, nothing looks bad. You know, he, he doesn't, it's not like his putting stroke looks bad. Like, oh, wow. He's really struggling with his putter. It just doesn't go in. You know, it's like, he looks good. The putt it looks good. It rolls good. It just doesn't go in. Um, and then, you know, with his wedges, he always flushes it, hits it good, but he's just like, ah, he's, you know, he lands just short of the pen and spins it to 30 feet or, you know, it's just like, he's not sharp with those, that part of his game. And I think that's, I think that's the difference maker for him. I mean, he's always going to drive the ball really well. Cause that's what he likes. That's what he's comfortable with. Um, and I, I do think he's got a real solid short game. He's a great mid iron player. He's a great long iron player. Um, one of the better long arm players, you know, mid to long arm players. And that's why he's always in contention because that's predominantly what the PJ tour is. It's a lot of, you know, eight irons, seven iron, six irons, and then, you know, par fives, three woods and long irons. But that's what he's great at. His long game is, is, is really nice, arguably the best in, in, in the game. And I think it's, it's really going to come down to how comfortable is he with his putter inside of 10 feet and, and how good is he with his, with his wedges. And if, if, you know, we saw Tiger do this in 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 the two thousands, and if if Rory, I mean, from a from a talent standpoint, I know Tiger's bigger and taller, but Rory hits it just as far, if not further. Further. Um, so if 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 he's able to really gain control over this wedge game and, and make more putts, I mean, there's no reason that you can't see Rory win. You know, two majors in a year and like six or seven events. You know, I know that we had. VJ and Tiger both had the those years where they won, you know, double digit wins in a year. Like Rory is that talented of a guy that he could do that. Um, and it's just a, it's a matter of him just putting those little pieces together that I think really can separate him from everybody else. Yeah, I'm looking at some of his stats. Like he he's really good from his long iron game is good. It's unbelievable. You know, from 75 from what sorry, from 175 to 200 yards, he's ninth. From over 200 yards, he's sixth. Yeah, but it's his wedges that that holds him holds him back in the short irons, and and that's from a 
from an actual playing standpoint, that's where it, it matters for Rory. He just doesn't hit it close enough. He just doesn't hit it close enough. And he's not, he's not one of those putters that, you know, you're going to, he's not Jordan. Yeah. He's not, he's not going to make a bunch of 20 footers, you know, he's, he's a good putter and speed's good enough to where he's, he's going to put, you know, put those up and he's going to, you know, tap them in, but he's not hitting it close enough and he doesn't really make a whole lot of those, uh, you know, those, those shorter putts. And so I think that's the, the differentiator. Like, again, he's, He's so long off the tee, he takes advantage of the par fives, but until he starts really taking advantage of his wedge game and how close he hits it to the hole, um, I can say close, meaning how close he hits his drives uh, to the green, until he starts hitting those wedges closer and making some of those those putts inside of 10 feet. Um, he's always been kind of a streaky putter. Like, he'll get hot and make a bunch of putts. So, it's like I said, it's not like you watch him putt and you're like, oh, yeah, he's really – his putting stroke looks terrible. I mean, the only thing I've ever seen with him – is that he occasionally just kind of pushes putts, which, you know, everybody's got their thing, but uh, you'll see him kind of just maybe get a little tentative and just kind of shove it, shove some putts and he just misses a lot of putts to the right. Um, yeah. His, again, looking at his putting, he's, he struggles the most and he looks the most uncomfortable with his actual stroke when it's five to 10 feet. Yeah. Not yeah, so much, not much so much inside five feet and his, in his stats kind of back that up. So, Putting from three feet, he's actually uh, his type of first. Putting from four feet, he was 40th. Putting from five feet, he was 39th. But then after five feet, and this is all by one foot increment, I'm, six, seven, eight. Outside of 100? 138th. 138th. From yeah. eight feet, he's 47th. But then back to 138th from nine feet, 178th from 10, 10 feet. Like, not, not good. You're going to have, I mean... Yeah. That's where majors are won is oh yeah that six to ten feet. You look at when Tiger won majors, you know, they'd flash up the stat, oh, he's only missed one putt inside 10 feet all week. Yeah. You know, yeah, and you look he, at a guy like Cam Smith beat him on Sunday at the open this year because he made those putts. Rory had a couple chances there for a couple birdies from 10 feet and didn't make them. Yep. Yep. I agree. I'm, you know, I'm glad you pulled those stats up. It made me Look like I knew what I was talking about, Mikey. <laughs> <laughs> Did it just um, for you, Jay. Yeah. Um, but you know, again, it, if he gets to the point where he's he starts to gain some confidence or has some consistency with with those two parts of his game, I I mean, I've always said it. I just don't think there's anybody from a talent standpoint, I don't think there's anybody as good as him on the PJ tour. And I don't really think it's I hate to say I don't think it's close because obviously it is, but if he's playing his best golf i don't think there's anybody that really can beat him out there um and he now i I know it's fucking mashes it too like (laughs) he hits it so far for for a guy who's not a big guy i mean he's a fit guy i mean i he's five nine but he's a he's a very fit guy and he he it's not like he's a you know a skinny guy so he's he's got some speed but a lot of speed but it's just not from a big you know six four guy with you know Tony Finau, 6'5", with, you know, arms that hang down to his knees. Yeah, I mean, um, he's 13th in club head speed on the PJ Tour last year. That's awesome. One tw- average of 121. God, that was his average? That was his average club head speed. <laughs> I can't remember the last time I was one club 120 miles an hour. Just thought one swing as hard as I could swing it. <laughs> I've I've had 121 uh, ball speed, but not uh, club head speed. <laughs> That was a Chris Fivewood, Mike. It yeah, really it was, was. It was <laughs> roasted. 
How about I board Callum Tarrant right in front of him? They're twelfth on club head speed. Joe Brantland eighth on club head speed. I remember playing with Callum with when my brother and um, when he was at Bradford with my brother and uh, we came down and just played like a match down in um, I think they played Draper Valley is the name of the club we played. But anyway, we get out there and play and. Uh, my brother's like, hey, it's like this guy mashes it. I just want to give you a heads up. And I was like, oh yeah. I was like, I'm I'm mash it. <laughs> now, granted, back then he didn't really know where it was going. Uh, but he absolutely every swing was like he was giving her everything he had. <laughs> he was smashing it. I mean, you could tell the sound was like another, it was a different level. Um, so it's cool to kind of see him still keep that, but he's obviously toned it in a little bit. He's keeping the ball in play. Uh, but he does mash it. All right, so let's get into a little – let's shift gears again. Let's get into a little live Studio 54 golf. <laughs> so a lot, of, a, lot of, a lot of things have come up in the last week with Liv. Um, they've announced some changes or, I guess, altered their team championship, team playoff format. There's rumors that they're getting close to a deal with Fox Sports 1, FS1, to buy time for TV coverage. Mickelson has bowed out of the lawsuit. That was Mickelson versus PGA Tour. All but three guys now have uh, bowed out of that lawsuit. Players are just dropping like flies. I got a couple of thoughts on that. PGA Tour has now filed a countersuit against Liv and Patrick Reed amended his lawsuit and added um, Shane Bacon, Damon Hack, Eamon Lynch, Golf Week Magazine, the Emergency Nine Golf Podcast. Um, Not yet. Maybe at some point, though, the way he's going, we could be (laughs) on here. I'm getting ready to lawyer up. So... Where, where do we you can guys... take, take this LLC for all it's worth, buddy? Yeah, take it for what it's worth. <laughs> you get seven hundred and fifty million from us. <laughs> so uh, here's you know what? Here's what I'm going to start. This is what I want to start with. I'm going to start with a compliment. I'm going to be open minded because <laughs> allegedly I'm not. I'm sorry. What kind of bourbon is that you're drinking tonight? <laughs> I'm trying to find the damn article. So I have my facts straight here. The I'm going to preface this with other than the fact that the teams are a sham as far as how they've made these teams, the format that they just put out is pretty good for the final championship. Uh, so I don't have it in front of me. I'm going to go off memory. I don't know why this is so hard to find. There's a lot of live golf uh, articles. Uh, I, I read some uh, a week ago, but I think they've tweaked kind of I think they've tweaked that. At, so, yeah, a few days ago, they came out with a change. Yeah. And so there's 12 teams. The top four teams get a buy. Teams five through eight play teams nine through 12. Teams five through eight get to choose their opponent, which I think is a cool. Yeah, I, I did see that. That is cool. Format. Um, it's Individual then, or team? 
It's so it's it's team. So this is the last event of the season is just team. It has nothing to do with individual. Okay. So I think it's a seven series event for the no, I mean, individual. Does the, does the higher ranked team get to choose the individual matches or choose the um, the so team they, they choose, play against? Uh, so they, they choose the four man team they play against, and then there's three matches among each team. So the two captains play each other for one point. There's another singles match for another point. And then there's a two-man foursomes, alternate shot for most people, match as well. So the four players are all in a match play for three matches, three points. You get two, you move on to the next round versus teams one through four. They also, I believe, teams one through four can pick their opponent of the winning teams. And it's the same format for that match uh, as well. Captains play the singles and then the foursomes match. Then you're going to be left with four teams to go on to Sunday. And then it goes, which is the little weird part. It goes back to stroke play at this point. And it's just stroke play for one round. All four scores count. Sorry, Pat Perez. <laughs> Since you know, I think you've maybe counted one round in all the events you've played this year for the four races. His is actually going to have to count for them uh, in this final round. And so all four scores count of this of the four uh, on the team of the four teams will be only 16 guys on the golf course. How much that. shit did Brooks give his brother once that was announced? <laughs> well, Brooks, he's been worse than Chase, I think, since this thing started. I don't think Brooks is practicing too often. No, I don't think he gives two shits anymore. No. Nope. Um. So I, I, I think it's actually a very interesting format. I'm going to give all props to live golf on this. Uh, I think it's, it's interesting with the captains playing each other, the picking your opponents, the foursomes. So you throw a little bit of a different format in there versus just individual match play. I like that all four scores count. You can't just bury yeah. Pat Perez on there and he rides the coattails of his team once again. You know, no. so I think it's I think that format's pretty interesting. I definitely think it offers more of some of the team aspect that we enjoy so much about some of the international competitions. I'm not going to equate this to the exact same format or the same sort of buzz surrounding it. I think it's way too early to tell, but I certainly like the fact that they're trying some new stuff and introducing some of the things that we've seen uh, captivate audiences throughout the years in some of the, the international team format competitions. Jay. That was a super odd, <laughs> super like long break there. I was waiting. I was you waiting. Know, I was like, I've already given my, I was already giving my thoughts. I was waiting for Jay's thoughts. It was kind of a, you know, <laughs> I feel like the my horn point here. was just like, you guys were like, the fuck is this guy talking about? <laughs> no, I, I agree. I mean, I, I'll, I was pretty I'll be confident you. until the long pause. I really was. <laughs> I, everything that you guys said, I, I totally agree with. It's, it's nice to see something different, you know, that we don't normally see. I, I think, I do think not to back off uh, of, of this, this movement. I do think it, it it is different and it is fun, but only time will tell to, to really make it a big deal. You know, like we've, we've mentioned before, like the majors and tour championship and, you know, even the, how we've mentioned the, the president's cup has kind of has been a deflating event compared to the Ryder cup. You know, there's just, there's still no history there. 
it's like, oh, wow, who am I, who am I pulling for again? What's the format? You know, I, I do like the fact that it's different. I'm interested in it. I will watch it. But to get super pumped up about it, um, I'm not there yet because, you know, it's still so new. Um, so I, I'm, I know I'm kind of tearing back and forth. I mean, it is, it, it is interesting because it's new and it's different. I'm excited to kind of see how it all shakes out. But for me to like pick sides for like a team and the team format, it just takes time oh, to yeah, build that. So, yeah. Um, so that's kind of, that's yet to be seen, but you know, they got to start somewhere. Um, but I, I do think within time that it could, if it's run properly, I think the team format could be the differentiator for this tour in my opinion the money like we've said nobody really cares about because it's like okay they won four million they won 1.5 million the future it's more money than i have yeah. um so i don't you know that doesn't get me excited about watching them play I, I i definitely agree with the guys who went and they made the right choice for them i don't have anything against those guys that that did it i'm not talking about the individual i'm just talking about the success of the tour um i don't care about the money i care about like the prestige of the event and like like we talked about earlier like is it is it really drama filled like where's the drama like how big is how big of an event is this for you to where i'm gonna feel the pressure that you're feeling while i'm watching you know we watch the majors and we start to pull for these guys We're like, oh my god this, this guy is a you know he's a amateur who qualified for the u.s open and he's trying to finish in the top 10 like all right we start to feel what that player is feeling and you get nervous but like i'm not getting nervous for dustin johnson playing in a live event um, but I think within time, if you start to, you know, get behind some of these teams and, um, and if they do decide to go with the country route, you know, that, that Avenue, that could, that could be big, you know, people could really get behind a team of, of one country of four players. So, but especially you know, from an international standpoint, yeah, from an international, it could really kind of pull everybody in on a, you know, I don't say a weekly basis, cause they're not going to have an event weekly, but like, you know, more often than not, people are going to be tuning in because their team or their country is being represented on, on this tour. So that, that could be huge. And they do have that going for them, I think. Yeah, I think it's, I just think it's creative. It's um, again, I, I'm not crazy about the team format right now, the way have they, the way they have it set up just because the teams are so, you know, arbitrary and, and put yeah. together in no real former fashion and guys have been playing legitimately on like two, three, four different teams. And so yeah. that is like, okay, well that's weird. Yeah. If, like we now, got traded already traded. From yeah. One like, and there's no real trade. Like if that's kind of how they sold it at first, you know, and like I said, the very first event, I think the coolest aspect they had was the draft, which they didn't televise or put on YouTube or wherever. And partly because some of those teams were already pre-made, yeah. you know, so the draft wasn't a legit draft. So, uh, you know, and I know they've talked about format changes to the teams and the structure and trying to sell the teams to, you know, billionaire owners a la Formula One. And so maybe that changes going into, you know, 2023 in their first full real season with 14 events. Maybe that changes and it can get interesting. Right now, it's like the format's cool, but I'm not really going to care who wins. It's, it's you know, the four races are going to win. Like, if they, <laughs> if they don't, it's a massive collapse. They got three of the top. They have 12. to split that team up. They got three of the top ten players on the whole tour. Like, I don't know. Like, poor Kevin Nas saddled with a bunch of guys' names you can't pronounce, and you know what is Pat Perez ranked on that tour? Like, I don't oh. even. Is there even a ranking system yet? Because there is so a many- ranking system. Um, I know it was like eighth in money made. 
But if you just look at individual money, they have an individual ranking for so they they have they have this point system. Is I'm on the website right now. Um, it's a point basis. You have to finish in the top 24 to um, get any points. They don't have the breakdown on here, but Pat Perez is 46th. Gosh, that's not good. That's not great. No. So Patty. Not, this is on a good team. Not very good. He's only amassed points in one event, but mm. he's he's just riding the coattails of his teammates. So is there have you heard anything about once the season ends? Are they can they drop guys? Can they pick up new guys? Like how is they that? They haven't they haven't really they haven't said, said. Uh, it's awkward, you know. Um a couple of the guys have intimated that they have ownership stake in it. I know Bryson had made a comment that he's like talking about potentially like rebranding his team with a new name and a logo. I think Bubba has kind of said the same thing. So that's probably a good thing. Yeah. Not if Bryson's in charge of it, because anything Bryson does is awful and cringeworthy. I don't disagree with that, but I do think that there needs to be some adjustments to these team names. Oh yeah. But like I said, I think we said this at one point, I don't trust anyone to do this because it's so new. Like if the PGA tour did the same thing, I think their names would probably suck as well. I think their logos would probably suck as well. It's just awkward to like arbitrarily like, Hey, here's teams. Like, like, yeah, I agree. You you know, I don't know. Like even like when you see like expansion teams and all these sports now, it's like, well, huh? The logos look terrible because again, it's new and there's no history. Like, I don't don't even know what this represents. Well, a logo like the 49ers. You you see that logo, you're like, oh, think of the history. You think of Joe yeah. Montana, you think Jerry Rice, you think four Super Bowls, you think Dwight Clark catching the pass in the end zone. Like you have a lot of history. But I, when I see one of these logos, I mean, now the only logo that I really know is the one that uh, our buddy Ralph got me. The high <laughs> the flyers. High flyers. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's tough to latch on to that until yeah. there's, there's any history there. Well, I think a lot in most major sports, not all of them, not every team is like this, but there is some sort of tribute played to the location mm-hmm. that they're playing in. And that's where a lot of their team name and mascot comes from. And these guys just don't have that because they're not a team that's yeah. based out of one location. Yeah. That's why they're almost better off. I mean, when you go like to Formula One, all those teams are just based off of who owns it, right? The Red Bull team, the Ferrari yeah. team, the Mercedes team. Like, and I think that's where they certainly want to get it. And I think there's some opportunity for that once the product becomes more profitable. Right now, it's a tough investment for the major corporations because it's so privately funded. And without any long-term deals in place from networks and sponsors, it's tough for them to come in. I, I think eventually we're going to see someone jump ship. Someone's going to, they're going to start getting some TV time. They're going to start getting enough recognition. I mean, they're already starting to, you know, even on the infant stages, we're starting to see live on the bottom line. We saw DraftKings pick it up. We see ESPN now covering it. We see the golf channel. I mean, you they fought it harder than anyone. And you got to feel like someone in some meeting was finally like, guys, you're missing the boat here. We're a golf media company. We're here to report the news in the sport. They yeah. are now a part of it. Feelings aside, it's our obligation to yeah. still present this as a, a member of the media. Um, 
so long story short, we're, we're still, and I think that's where it's so easy for us to relate this to an, a very established product in the DP world tour, the PGA tour, and even some of the other tours around the world that have, that have been there for so long. Um, this product is still very, very new, still very wet behind the ears. And we got to feel like with all the money that, that gets thrown around in these major circles, which live obviously operates in, there's going to be a company. There's going to be some CEO, business owner, philanthropist that is a disruptor of sorts and wants to jump on. I mean, who's who thinks it's far-fetched to see a tesla team elon musk would be all over an opportunity like this to a certain extent he's one of those guys i don't know how he feels politically with saudi arabia and all that stuff and that may not be the greatest um argument for someone who's more knowledgeable on elon musk but if i just look at someone who has the money likes being a disruptor likes being someone that is you know in the light a little bit and puts himself out there I mean, what, Tesla could buy a team for a hundred million tomorrow and not even know that they spent that money. And I think that those guys do exist out there. I think we are going to see more people jump on board with this in what form or fashion. We don't know yet. I, I think until they have some sort of TV rights deal in place, most of the major corporations have someone smart enough to say, guys, this is not a good investment. You just, you, you can't dedicate this amount of funds uh to a project that does not have a uh, shelf life as at this point well that's the other thing that the tv deal is is interesting and there's been no formal actual news there's just been reporting on a, on a few different outlets you know norman comes out a couple of weeks ago talking about oh yeah there's offers being put on the table and we got four companies and da, da, da. well it sounds like the offers being put on the table was lived to these companies saying hey we'll pay you x amount of dollars for screen time because all the reports are now is live is going to have to buy their time not get paid for their product they're going to have to buy the time to show it on fox sports one and so which again, sounds crazy because of what we're used to. But if on their side, they are very well funded, this could be their step in the right direction to put it in front of that national spot, uh, spotlight, gain some viewership and all of a sudden gain some sponsors. I mean, as crazy as it sounds, because it's so different from the way we see most sports presented, this could be a good move. Well, it's, it's their only Avenue. If they don't have a deal, it's their only yeah. Avenue. They can't leave it on YouTube. They yeah. can't. It's not going to, they can't leave it on YouTube. If they're going to try to make this a legit thing, they got to get it on TV in some form or fashion. If they have to pay for it, they have the deep pockets, then you, then you pay for it. It's just not a great, not great when a bunch of these, and now granted, ha, you know, half the companies, the media companies are already in, in partnership with the PGA tour. So it's yeah. makes it tough to, it, it's, you know, you're, you're half of your, potential market is out the door to begin with. But then the other ones are saying, well, your product's not good enough right now for us to actually pay you for it. Or we don't feel like enough people want to watch this, that we're going to pay you for your yeah. media rights. You got to pay us to get it on the screen. Yeah. I mean, that's, uh, I don't blame them from trying to do it. It's like, Hey, let's just get, let's just get on TV, whatever it takes, you know, for right now. And then, and let, let our, let our product, you know, prove itself or, or not prove itself, but 
um, either way, they just, they, you're right. They just, they have to get, they have to get themselves attached to a network on TV rather than, you know, streaming. Just too bad. Arlo totally White will agree. be calling that on TV. Cause he's fucking God awful. <laughs> <sighs> and Jerry Fulton, I don't know what happened to him. Actually, I do, I do know what happened to him. He's yeah, been bought by the Saudis. Another little, little bone to pick here. And cause all Greg Norman does is interviews now. He is such a whore for the camera and for a microphone. If he mentions independent contractors one more fucking time, I'm going to jump through my TV screen and strangle the guy. You, I'm sorry, Greg. You cannot use these guys as, as term them as independent contractors when they've all signed contracts with you. They have lost their independent contractor status. These guys can't play both sides of the fence. Greg, you want them to be an independent contractor when it comes to the PJ Tour so you can have a talking point, but they're contracted by you. So you say, oh, these guys should be able to pick and choose where they want to play. Yeah, except they're and they're going to pick an event that's on the same week as a live event. So if someone, Dustin Johnson's a multiple, multiple time winner of the AT&T Pebble Beach Pro-Am, if your live event is going up against the AT&T Pebble Beach Pro-Am, he can't skip your event to go play that, even if the PJ Tour was going to allow them to play. So spare me the independent contractor bullshit. I don't want to hear that anymore, Greg. Save it. You can't say that. They sign fucking contracts with you. Sorry. <laughs> That's you fair. That's yeah, fair. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I mean, yeah, no, at that point, that's no longer the case. Um and I, you know, I've I've gotten mixed reviews on this, and Mikey, you may have heard, or McLean, you may have heard that. So the the contracts that these guys have signed, are they still? Is that whatever money they make um, on the golf course? Is that on top of their contract, or is that like a like an advance, like whatever they make? It just comes. I've, I've heard both sides of it. So I've heard both sides as well. Liv says yes. Liv says no. But it's. It, I have a feeling it's actually both. I think it might be dependent on who the player is. Depending on the player. Yeah. I think it's what's whatever was negotiated. I think maybe some of the lesser guys, some of these Turk Pettits, James Piot, these kind of guys, I think they're given an advance on their pay. Like, hey. But I think the DJ, you're getting your contract salary and, and then you're getting your winnings on top. I, that would be just my guess reading through all the tea leaves as I think it's actually probably both depending yeah, on, that, on the player. I mean, because that's, that. that's the thing that I think is even more odd for us to even follow and make an assessment is that all these contracts are private and we don't know what they negotiated. Like you said, I don't know if is DJ like, is he, is he playing on a, this hundred million or whatever that number is in advance? And he's just like, whatever. I'm going to make a hundred million dollars regardless. Who cares? Or is it, you know, hey, I get bonuses. I get, you know, what's the, I mean, at least with the guys in the NFL, we can find out the details of their contract. Hey, you've got a yeah. hundred million contract, hundred million dollar contract. 50 of it's guaranteed. The other 50 is incentive based. I mean, it's kind of nice to know, you know, what we're looking at, you know, because we, it, Again, just for us, you know, paying attention to it, I'd like to know what 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 is his incentive to go out there and play well. If there's no incentive, again, it's like it, that 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 kind of uh, deadens the product a little bit in my in my eyes. It's like, oh well, this guy doesn't really care. Like he doesn't even, he's not even he doesn't care if he wins or not. So it's like again, that takes the pressure off even more, and it's just harder to to get behind him. Like we were juice. talking earlier. You know, there's no like this. He's not feeling any pressure with this tournament. Like he's not trying to win the first ever live championship to one to make money to change his life. He's, that's already happened. 
um, by signing the contract. So, I mean, it would be kind of neat to know what, what the, what the, well, is. and that's, and that's kind of to the, my next point was Nicholson and all these players, you know, bowing out of this lawsuit, you know, some people are speculating it's because they don't want their contract made public. They don't want to be deposed in front of a, a room full of lawyers and they don't, but it sounds like just because they've bowed out of this, their contracts are still going to come up. If this thing ever goes to court and it's live versus the PGA tour, which is yeah. essentially it's what it's, it's shaping up to be the, that's going to be part of discovery. The contracts are going to come out because the PGA yeah. tour is going to use that as an example, whether Mickelson's name is on the, the lawsuit or not, they're still going to want to use these players contracts as yeah, evidence to say, Hey, look at how restrictive this is for these guys. Like, we we allowed them all kinds of freedom. We we had forty seven events and they only had to play fifteen, you know, to pick from. So they had all kinds of freedom to choose their own schedule. So I think that's why some of these guys are backing out of this lawsuit. They yeah, think they might not have some things come to the to to light, but I think they're still going to anyways. Well, I think that's one of our problems with the whole thing, and I think that even from supporters is the lack of transparency. You know, if we're going to make this more relatable to other major tours or major sports, one thing we know is what these guys are getting paid per year, what the structure is, how many years. And it it makes you, I don't know, maybe not value the player differently, but ultimately it makes you um, aware of what they're playing for, how it works, what the structure is, uh, where we don't really have that yet. I my like the NFL too, is they have like performance bonuses, X amount of touchdowns, or you make the Super Bowl, or that's exactly right. You know, that's exactly right. And knowing some of that adds to the drama of what we're seeing. You know, if this guy had a chance to, you know, every, you know, four top fives or every top five, you get a little bonus that bumps up 10, 50, 100 grand each time, something all of a sudden it starts adding an additional level of drama to the event. Um, we don't have that yet. My hopes are that we will. My hopes are that we will start to see a, a larger level of transparency, but golf has also historically been the least transparent of any major sporting or sport out there. Um, so, you know, time will tell, but I, I definitely agree with you that having more transparency towards what these contracts look like will offer a better understanding to how these guys got there why they're there and maybe make it more palatable for the golfing public or could make it worse you know what do these guys sign up for what do these guys sign their life away to do you know what i mean and i think that's there's 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 questions to be answered by seeing some of these contracts of what exactly is is going on and the extent of some things but it's uh i agree i totally agree it could it could go either way once you actually see the deals, <laughs> you know, not necessarily going to be beneficial to the player as far as a, a, a PR standpoint. So, um, any more any more live topics you want to discuss or points? Um, Bryson DeChambeau comes in second in the World Long Drive and looks like a complete utter douchebag while doing it. Every video that came out of him, I just cringed over, just utterly cringed over. The best Bryson thing I saw was Josh Allen trolling Bryson. <laughs> yeah. That was the best part about any of Bryson from this past week. I will say it's incredibly impressive. The fact that he made it to the last two. 
I think the format in the World Long Drive Championship is among the absolute worst, worst. in all of golf. <laughs> I mean, it makes no sense. It's it you can't follow it. It's it's awful. It's fucking atrocious. Um, yeah, I think you know. I, I agree. It, it is. It was you're not identifying the longest player. I, I, think I apologize. That, that was the point I was trying to get to because at the end of the day, you're you're going through these little heats, but there are times where someone who didn't get through the heat would have gotten through another heat, but he didn't do it against the right four guys. And to me, it just seems like it opens up the door to where we're not actually finding the longest player. This isn't it, match play. Event. You want to find out the longest exactly player right. in the world. That, that's exactly right. It's a different yeah. event. We're trying to find the longest player in the world. I don't give a shit who the other three guys were in his heat. If he hit it 402 and the other guys in his heat don't hit the grid, but yet the next heat, the winner is, I, I'm sorry, I didn't give that correctly but he hits at 402 and the guy in his he hit at 403 and he got clipped but the next heat the longest ball in the competition is 394 should the guy that hit at 402 and lost his heat still not be in it that makes no sense to me yeah no i mean there's definitely there's definitely two ways to look at it and i think some people probably look at it like you know same thing with match play and and the and the world golf championships is like, Oh, well, I want to see the best player or the best match play player. I'm like, all right, well, you know, this guy was, he, he was probably the best player in the field, but he lost that one match. He got clipped and ran to a buzz all. So, I mean, it, but, that, they, that's, they, but that's not format. determining you're not determining the, the exactly. best golfer ever. Like, you know, you watch a long drive competition to see the guy that hits it the longest. Yeah. And I think their argument is that the longest under pressure, given, you know, the circumstances, can they hit it in the grid? Can they hit it the longest? So can they do it and continue to evaluate, or I'm sorry, to progress each, each, each level. So, I mean, I understand where if, it were, if that were the case, then let's all just go out and hit everyone just hit six balls. Um, and I, their argument with it, I think is that, can you hit the six balls in the time limit and beat the other five guys in your in your heat and then advance. So just to try to add some element of pressure to where it's just like, you're just not, if, if that's the case, let's just have everybody. They all just have one heat, six balls, the longest ball, um, you know, cause it, there is a difference between standing next to somebody who's hitting uh, going up against another guy who's hitting um, knowing that they probably may be longer than you. The conditions are different. The wind's different. If you're going at a different time um, you know, I've had, I've been a part of that where, you know, I was, I was teeing off in the morning they just didn't have. So like, okay, this, the top half, you guys are all going to make it to the next, the next level. Um, but if you hit in say in early in the day and the guys, the other guys hit in the afternoon, the wind switched, I was hitting into the wind, the guys were hitting downwind. It's like, wait a second. You know, I, if I were just playing against the guys just in my heat and kept advancing, um, all right. then, then it would have been a little bit more. You're, fair. Sway, you're swaying me a little bit, but I don't, still, I don't I do totally disagree you're saying. with what you're saying. I, 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 I think if there's, more to it than just like one ball the longest ball like there is something to be said for the longest ball like you've got to get it on the grid and you've got to be able to compete and have the pressure of hitting it like if i set up on uh and do a heat um and i'm hitting next to kyle berkshire uh i mean there's a lot of pressure there and but at the same time if if you're hitting up against somebody else you know you can you can beat then you freewheel it you let it go a little bit now you can really get one you can move on out there, but when you've got that tension of going against or that pressure of going against the longest guy on the planet, now you get a little tight. You're like, how do you handle it? Like, I, I'm not saying that it's not about the longest drive. It is, but I think some of these other elements are trying to drag into it. 
I do think it's a little convoluted. It's too many things. Like too, it should, it should not little, take like five days either. It should be a lot simpler than that to to kind of find out who yeah. that who that guy is. I, I don't. Well, I think I think that's where distance has to eventually play as being the winner. There may be a heat where two yeah. guys get through, and there may be a heat where no guys get through. If you have guys that don't, and, and I understand there's a little bit of a different in conditions, but unfortunately this is golf. We play it outdoors unless we're going to start doing it in a simulator. I think we have to understand that conditions can change slightly. And that unfortunately that is a little bit of the rub of the green. My issue is what someone who hits a measured golf shot longer than someone else. And the guy with the shorter shot ends up advancing where the other guy doesn't. That's yeah. where I see a little bit of, of an issue. And I'm all for the heat format. Go with the heat format. But let's make distance still the deciding factor. If you have three guys in a heat that hit it 406, 403, and 402, and you have four guys in a heat, none of them eclipse 400, I yeah. think we need to bring in those guys that are 400 plus and allow them to advance because at the end of the day, this is about the longest drive, the, the most speed. Who, who's creating that? I don't think you want to get into a point where you have a committee making an argument and say, oh, well, the wind was two degrees stronger when he hit versus the other guy. Now I think we're just adding fuel to the, the fire that is already convoluted. Um, but I think at the end of the day, the distance needs to, in this format, because of what this is, needs to supersede the heat and who you're playing against. I get the pressure aspect without question. But if I'm standing next to Kyle Berkshire and I hit it two yards short of him, and the next five guys come up and they're they're all no names and none of them equate uh, eclipse the 400 yard mark i feel like that guy that was right there next to kyle berkshire still may have earned his spot in the finals he may kyle may still beat him he may finish second or third but it doesn't mean that he needs to finish 22nd just because he faced kyle earlier in the rounds yeah no i i, I don't think that's I, an accurate depiction of what they're trying to accomplish yeah, they've moved to more of a who is the not the not necessarily the it, it is the world long drive, but it's also I feel like they've they've tried to make it like the longest guy that the longest player that can actually hit the grid consistently. So, I mean, who would you? But that's think not of what this a, is about. I mean, is it though? I mean, that's what your perception of the tournament is. But like they're it's they're not about to, how many times you hit the grid. It's no, the they're 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 drive. moving to tailor it to the the best the longest the best longest driver in the world. Like not just the longest golf ball, but if I hit four balls at four hundred yards and I hit the grid four of the six times, I'm going to gain more points than the guy who can't hit the grid at all hits one ball one yard further than me, but misses. the the grid five times who do, who is the best driver of the golf ball like you know what i mean it's the longest and most accurate like i mean i understand where they're going with it like, in my eyes accuracy shouldn't play a part of this because it's an absolute it's it's pure length and speed and at the end of the day we're just trying to identify who can move a golf ball the absolute furthest at the highest velocity and that's where well, I think if, this particular if tournament doesn't matter. Then let's just stand up with a track man and just see who's got the fastest ball speed. And then wherever you hit it, who cares? There needs to be, there needs to be some sort of grid. Don't get me wrong, but I don't, I don't want to see Bryson get more points than Kyle Berkshire. Cause he hits the grid more often than Martin Borgmeyer does. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. No. I, I, and again, I don't know if they've got the, if they've got the, the formula, right, but I, they're trying to get it to where it's not one guy that hits one ball in the grid. And can't hit the grid for the other five times, beats a guy who hits it maybe 
five out of the six times and he loses by one yard. Like I, I would look well, at that. Let me that ask guy's you a, a question. better driver of the golf ball. And he's, he's equally as long, but that guy made one swing and hit it in play. And like, is he really the world long, long drive guy well, or the we, champion? I was like, I mean, we can call it the kick pass and punt at that point. If that's what we're looking for all around. I mean, I, th- I think at the end of the day, let's, and let's just change that for a second. Let's say the guy only does get one ball in the grid, but it's 25 or 30 yards out in front of the other guys that he hit five balls in the grid. Does the guy who hit five balls, does he get crowned as the world's long drive champion or does the other guy that hit one and he connected and finally got it and he hit it 30 yards past him? Is he not the world's longest driver? No, no question. I agree. I I, I mean, I, I agree. I think that's when you have to look at how do you weight that? Like, you know, do, how many points do you get for hitting a ball in the grid at a certain distance. You know, if the if distance is going to be the number one factor, obviously that's it's weighted more heavily than a guy who hits hits the grid more than everybody else. Obviously, if that's the case, we just have guys that can just pepper down the middle. There's got to be some. It's got to be heavily weighted toward the longest drive. But again, I think they're trying to get away from one guy hitting one ball and only winning by one yard when another guy is is sent you know multiple balls in the middle of the and it, it's super impressive to watch. In my opinion. And it's more impressive to watch these guys hit the fairway at 400 yards multiple times than it is one guy. Because I mean, have you ever been to this thing before? Have you ever been to a long drive competition? No. Have you? I mean, the, some of these guys, and no offense, uh, some of these guys cannot break an egg. I mean, I'm talking topping it. I'm talking a f- 150, 200 yards offline, and that one ball they hit in the middle of the fairway. I'm like, that's not impressive to me. It's not like, but when you watch a guy like Justin Moose, who who did it for a long time, that guy can play his ass off and he can hit the ball down the grid 400 yards, four out of five times, four out of six times. That's pretty impressive. Um, not for, for one guy to miss. And I'm talking three, 400 yards dispersion and he hits one ball on the grid. Like that's not impressive to me. And I think a lot of people that go to watch it, they're like, dude, I just saw you top it. And now well, you get one ball in the fair in the fairway, and now you're you're jumping around, hooting and hollering. I'm like, oh, good job, dude. I mean, that's just. I think opinion. that's where we need to take a poll on the fans yeah. of this event and they, ask them whether what they're, they're like. there for accuracy or distance. I'm not sure yeah. if I'm not sure if any of our listeners had um, on their bingo card Jay and McLean get an argument over the world long drive competition, <laughs> but. Uh, um, is, congratulations if any of our listeners had that on their bingo card because one I made one innocuous comment about uh, Bryson looking like a douchebag in the world long drive competition and you guys went on a 10 minute argument <laughs> I, I mean it's all good do. fun I mean it's as great I like it. it was I just sat back and like just smiling the whole time I'm like of all the things we've gotten in arguments about on this podcast it's now the long this, drive this is pretty subdued compared <laughs> to the other yeah, one it's very subdued very subdued <laughs> that's I'm Jay not and I are both still very respectful whoa 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 um, whoa whoa, whoa. No one's no, cussed either one out yet. Zero fucks have been said during that entire thing. Yeah, well, it's respectful's not fun. <laughs> not as accuracy. <laughs> All right, let's. Uh, that was exhilarating, but let's move on to uh, the the how we cap off our show with our DraftKings picks. I actually, McLean, I didn't see Live on DraftKings earlier when I created the contest. It was not an option. Um, hold, please. So. I no. believe it's under a different format. It's not under the classic. Yeah. Oh, well, anyways, so for our listeners, like we, we talked about it last week, we're going to oh, do, it's, no, it's under classic live golf invitational. Uh, well, God. it wasn't, it wasn't there earlier this afternoon when featured, I created featured contest. I'm sure it is. 
live golf in Bangkok. Who knows what, what I'm sure that's gonna get great viewership when it's on in the middle of the night when you're asleep. <laughs> so um we agreed on uh, some some rules of our season-long, year-long DraftKings competition among the three of us. We're gonna throw in $50 a man. You're gonna get the winner of each week is gonna get five points. Second's going to get three. Last plus is going to get one. And we retroactive this back to the 40 net. We forgot who came in second and third. We know McLean won. So Jay and I just split two points there for that one. So um, this way it will give the viewer, we'll kind of do a quick recap each week. Um, so kind of hold us a little more accountable to our picks versus just giving our picks and then completely forgetting about them. So we can kind of give a, a recap and say, Hey, this guy actually did really well. Or, you know, this guy shot 80 and missed the cut. So congratulations on that. McLean's was in the, winning the season long at 13 total points. I'm at eight J's at six. I did win last week with, uh, I kind of stopped you guys a little bit. Jay. Um, I stopped, I stopped watching <laughs> Jay. You had, I think three of your guys missed the cut. Yeah. I can't pull up my details now. All of a sudden my, DraftKings is being slow, but oh, here we go. So I, I did have five guys make the cut. Uh, my team was looking really solid until Sunday. None of them played well on Sunday or the weekend. But um, yeah, Taylor Montgomery, Danny MacArthur, Andrew Putnam, Stephen Yeager, Joe Bramlett, all uh, cut makers on my squad. So I take uh, a lead or second place in the competition over Jay now. I hopped him, and McLean is still – Good for McLean you. McLean is still in charge of this competition. Jay and I only have 45 more events to catch up. <laughs> Let's go. So who wants to go first for this week? Shriners. Um, um should in you Vegas. Give, Mikey, can you should we go? Oh, you want to do a little down? Yeah. So DraftKings. Rules. So for those of you who may be a little unfamiliar with DraftKings, we've talked about it before on this podcast, but just to go over, you are given. I don't even know. What's the salary cap? $50,000? $50,000. DraftKings then allots a um, dollar amount to each player, and you can use your $50,000 however you see fit. You don't have to use it all. You just can't go over. You're allowed six players of, again, varying um, dollar amounts to kind of make your squad, which makes it interesting because you're not just going to pick, you know, six of the top 10 guys every week. That would be Boring and not fun, uncreative, require no research, and we get a lot of ties, and that's not fun. So $50,000, you're getting points for birdies, eagles, you know, um, you get points for... Yeah, 13, 13 points for a double eagle or better, which I don't think I've seen yet, but yeah. uh, eight points for eagle, three points for birdie, 0.5 points for a par, negative 0.5 points for a bogey, uh, minus one for a double, and then minus one point for uh, worse than a double bogey. Then there's birdie uh, streaks. Birdie streaks, uh, bogey-free round, you get three. Uh, the birdie streak, you get three. Um, uh, all predetermined rounds under 70 strokes is plus five points. Um, and then hole in one is plus five as well. And then and then you get points uh, based on where, where your player finishes, 30 points for your – you're the winner, uh, 20 for second, 18 for third, and so on and so on. Um, so that's kind of how the uh, the scoring goes, just for those of you who are, are just trying to get into it. But um, So you hear us uh, spit off some of these uh, 
these price tags for some of these players, that's what it, that's what it means. And um, again, we have to stay under that $50,000 budget there. You know, so Um, but for instance, this week, Patrick Cantlay is the number one player in the field. He is $11,100 of your allowance. If you were going to spend it on him. And if you want to bet on something named D Dominski, he is worth 6,000 points or dollars. There's a handful of guys. Um, some of them I've never. Where do you play his college golf? You know what? I think that was East Tennessee State. No fucking idea. <laughs> Couldn't tell you who this guy is. He's sorry, East Tennessee State. No, no hatred, me. <laughs> He's got zero cuts made out of zero events. Ooh, and I accidentally just put him on my team. Let's change this. <laughs> oh, fuck. That sucks. All right. So who wants to go first? Um, um, spicy and ready. All right. All right go going. for it. Winner. All right. Going right up at the top. Uh, Mr. Max Homa, 10,600, number two player on this week's draft board. Uh, but a guy who I think has been playing extremely well, looking to continue his success coming out of the 2022 season. Um, I think he's someone who thrives on West Coast golf. Granted, this is in Vegas out in the desert, but still, I think a familiar surrounding for him. Yeah, he lives in Arizona, so very familiar. Uh, moving down from there, number 15th on the PGA Tour power rankings, because you know I looked at him. Dean. Apparently, we all should be looking at these power rankings because you're out to a big lead so far. Dean Burmaster. He's been playing really well as of late. Kind of a a little bit of an unknown name. Comes over from the DP World Tour. Um, Has had a lot of success in his golfing career, ultimately bringing that success now over to the States with um, his PGA Tour card now, uh, I believe, secured after his last finish. Um, well, I think I think Jay picked him last week, but I think he either called him like Dan or David or something like that. That's okay. I've got Dean this week, <laughs> <laughs> so we're gonna we're gonna look for him. Uh, look to see some success out of him. Um, running down the board, this was one of the tougher picks for me. This was actually my last pick of my team, but a guy who has been playing well, coming off of his best year on tour. Uh, I think this is going to be his first start out in the fall wraparound season, the last fall wraparound season of the PGA Tour's existence until they change it again. Uh, Mr. JT Poston at $8,300. Moving down from there, uh, looking at a California boy, he's not out there playing for money. He's out there playing because he wants to win. Mr. Maverick McNeely at $8,100. He's got a better trust fund than any of us. (laughs) Um, moving south from there uh, a guy who's been playing well somewhat under the radar a little bit but for those that have been following a guy who's made a lot of cuts over the last year and uh, has three top tens mr adam svensson at seventy two hundred dollars and then uh a guy that we all like jay and i like a guy i know a, a really Really good dude out of Malone University. Guy's been playing well as of recent. Mr. Justin Lauer at 7,100, rounding out my squad. Jay Lau. Looking looking to add a five-pointer to the board. I like it. I like it. Jay, you want to go? Do you want me to go? Um, I can can spit them off here. Okay. I will. uh, That's like saying you guys order first. I'll be ready with you. When yeah. they get to me. <laughs> I will uh, I'll start from the bottom. Um at 7300 Andrew Putnam has been playing some 
Uh, decent golf. Obviously, uh, he he made it to the the playoffs there and had a couple events um, and finished okay and and a couple of them fifth at the uh, St Jude and then twenty third at the BMW and forty third last week. Um, so he's kind of a middle of the road guy, but playing pretty solid um, in the last five or six events and at seventy three hundred um, makes sense. Uh, Seamus Power, um, you know, I, I really I, he had a, a, a couple really good streaks earlier in the year. Um, didn't play that great at the end of the year, but um, he's been playing well. And I feel like this is kind of like his event. Like I, I feel like he plays well in these smaller events because he, I think he's confident. Like we talked about earlier, you, you pair yourself with the right the right players, and you you know you should play well, and he gets that confidence from it. So. I'm going to give him uh, give him a chance to prove his worth. Um, KH Lee, 7,700. Sexy. Um, yeah. Uh, he has been playing um, pretty solid um, so far this year, and especially, you know, again, he hasn't played since the Tour Championship, but he's been playing some good golf. So He played well last week at the President's Cup or two weeks ago. Yeah. Um, but at that price point, the kind of that mid-grade 70, that 7,000 price point, pretty good. Pretty good value for for what he, the return on the money there. So um, then I jump up to Taylor Pendrith. Obviously, we all have used him quite a bit in the last you know two months. He's been playing some good golf. Uh, nothing great last week, uh, but he he, uh, he hits it a ton. So uh, eighty seven hundred bucks. Uh, then we we'll jump up to Tom Hoagie playing playing some good golf. Played well last week and tenth. Uh, 10th place, 10th, 10th place finish at the tour championship. Um, and I, this guy I've played with him. He's a good, good guy. Very quiet guy sticks to sticks to his game. Nothing flashy drives the ball pretty well. A decent iron player, good putter. Um, he just, he just keeps, he's one of those guys that keeps coming at you and just, he finds a way to get it done. Um, so at 9,000 bucks, I'm going to give him a shot. Um, and then Taylor Montgomery, uh, this guy's been playing some good golf. I know kind of a corn fairy grad there, uh, but I don't think he's finished out of out of the top 10 only twice in the last, you know, three times in the last 10 or 12 events. I know they're corn fairy events, but when you're playing good, you're playing good. So, um, and he obviously played well last week, finishing third. So, um, I, he, I think he's probably going to win. I'm just going to throw that out. There. Wow. I love it. Love it. Um, he finished ninth last week, but DraftKings didn't didn't update the Sanderson on the uh, player profiles there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. Ninth last week, third at the Fortnite. Yeah. So, all right. I like it. Uh, a couple. Jay, you and I always have a couple of the same picks, and we do again this week. Well, hopefully, we don't finish second and third. So. <laughs> <laughs> so I got um, start at the bottom. $7,000, Mr. Callum Taron. Nice. I like him to make a lot of birds on this golf course, and he just finished T15. Uh, actually, no, T11, I believe it was. T13, sorry, close enough. Uh, T13, past week at Sanderson, so I'm playing well, and I like him. This is going to be a birdie fest to make a bunch of birdies here at um, at the Shriners. I got a bunch of middle-tier guys, so then I got, I'm going to go up to uh, 7,500, Matthew Neesmith. Played well last week, finished T10. Sorry, T9. Can't get my numbers right tonight. Um, T9, top 10 last week, and has played this golf course very well. 
uh, last few years. He plays Shiner as well. So I'd like Matthew Neesmith as a sleeper this week at 7,500. Then uh, just like UJ, Seamus Power hasn't played much recently, but just a solid, solid guy. I saw the value at 7,600. I feel like he's a much better player um, compared to some of the other guys that were at a higher dollar value from DraftKings. So I like him there. Then I go up to Thomas Dietrich. Talk about a guy who's on a heater right now. And I guess some of them were corn ferry events, but has played well, played the DP World Tour event. The uh, their you know flagship event, the BMW uh, PGA comes in fifth, twelfth at at Fortinet, 40 net. I don't I'm not even positive the name of that uh, tournament. <laughs> <laughs> and then another top 10 uh, this week at Sanderson. So it's just playing really, really well. No one really knows of him. So I like Dietrich at 7,900. Then I go up to Taylor Montgomery as well, uh, just because of what Jay was saying. He's just playing playing solid. I mean, the guy's just a top 10 machine right now, regardless of where he plays. So he's feeling good, confident about his game. I think he can make a bunch of birdies this week. And then I go up to 10,400, defending champ Sung J.M. Loves this place. Uh, has a, a fantastic track record, obviously winning here, but even events that he hasn't won uh, a bunch of top 10, top 20s at this venue. Again, he can make birdies, lights out, can make him in bunches, which you're going to need this week. So I don't know if he wins, but he's going to follow up a solid President's Cup performance with a um, probably another top top 10, we'll say this week from, from Sungjae. So uh, that's my squad. And I feel I feel pretty confident in it. I think I got a five points coming to me and your money. <laughs> so, <laughs> all right, gents. Um, anything else? No, man. It's good. We 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 touched on a lot, a lot of different topics. Um, I actually kind of plan on watching this event this weekend a little bit. So, I had a very busy social calendar this past weekend, so I don't tune into the Sanderson Farms. It's so busy. <laughs> yeah. Socially, just, just tracking the kids around different places to keep them entertained is pretty much what we did. So I had we we hit up draft, uh, sorry, draft kings. We hit up Drive Shack, a bowling alley, and an arcade this weekend with my oh, wow. with my Did kids. Right. So yeah, hit all all the extra all kinds of stuff on a on a rainy weekend. All kinds of stuff, bunch of money I spent for nothing. <laughs> <laughs> so I really need these draft kings. This this draft kings win will come in handy this week. <laughs> So, all right, gents, that was fun. And uh, again, to all of our listeners, thank you for tuning in. As always, please like, subscribe, go watch um, or listen to the Mark Brazel interview from last week. And we'll be back uh, next week after Live Bangkok. Can't wait. <laughs> Cheers. Later. Later.